Hey there, CFX fans. This is Jeff. Everyone, this is episode 16, part two. Phantasm continued. It was such an epic episode. We had to bust it up into two. Otherwise, you might lose your heads like like we did. So uh, stay tuned here. Here's part two of Phantasm. Enjoy, everyone. A young man has been pursued by a sinister force. Now he must learn the secret of the ultimate evil. Now it is time for you to come back to me. one doesn't scare you you're already dead phantasm three coming soon i i like how when you're a voiceover guy on movies you have to say evil oh <laughs> yeah totally totally <laughs> i wonder if there's a school where you go to learn how to how to say all these words like in a world evil <laughs> well there have you ever seen that film in a world yeah. Uh, yeah. Lake Bell. Lake Bell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's kind of kind of interesting and amusing. But we should go into the plot on Phantasm 3. So obviously with with Phantasm 2, where we leave off is, uh, you know, our heroes uh, confront the tall man and seem to destroy him. Right. Right. But then um, as as they're leaving, they they get into uh, the hearse. Uh, what is it? Alchemy. She's driving the the hearse and reggie is happy to see her he's like well hey you know uh you stayed around that's great and as they drive off she kind of peels some stuff off her head and they realize she's evil right yeah and then the tall man bursts through at the end and uh, again the tall man wins like in the first film and in the third film we leave right where the second one left off just like almost all the sequels do and um you know, we see that uh, Reggie is is you know uh, trying to rescue Michael, a Michael uh, or Michael, the character of Mike, uh, and Liz, the character from the second, the female lead from the second movie, is dead. Right, yeah. she's been killed, um, and and the tall man's pursuing them, and then you know they uh, some of his minions, the lurkers, come and and there's a really funny scene where he shoots one dead from the from the tree. You know, they're they're in the trees and stuff around. And he he actually points a shotgun and shoots and you see this little body drop down. But, you know, it basically continues where the second one left off. And again, we're in kind of a road picture where uh, Michael is sort of abducted. Right. Yep. Uh, And then and then they want to, you know, Reggie is on on the path to find Michael and. um you know, they're uh, running into the tall man, but it's, it's, again, it's the same kind of road picture as the second one where they're kind of in being pursued, but in pursuit at the same time. 
And uh, did you want to add to anything as far as the details go? Well, I was um, just going to say, I mean, th- this is, uh, as you say, it's a road movie, but he has new companions, right? Right, right. So we should talk about that. Like, first he meets, uh, what's the kid's name? Timmy, Timmy or something. Right. Of course, the kid's name is Timmy. Every kid has to be named Timmy. But he meets uh, uh, Rocky and her friend. I forget the friend's name. The friend is promptly killed. So, Right. Um, but he meets Rocky, who kind of has a, you know, action. Uh, Grace Jones. Sort of look going on there, right? Uh, and, you know, becomes there. I think they get along pretty well. And I figured that, uh, you know, uh, Rocky <laughs> and her friend, after her friend's killed, sort of, his friend's killed by the tall man. I think in the mausoleum, right? I yeah, in the mausoleum. Yeah, right. She and she's actually killed by one of the spheres. Okay, right. And 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 we'll talk about about this more when we talk about the making of the film. But um, once again, this scene was too violent for the ratings. Uh, it was another bloodletting scene, so of course he had to edit it. So, but before that, I mean, he first runs as he's looking for for Mike. He first runs into these characters that I think we can refer to as the looters. Right? They're these. Three kind of very cartoonish characters. Right. You have one guy who's kind of got he's got this big gold chain with a dollar sign. You've got the other kind of creepy guy, the old kind of creepy guy who's almost like in a in a forties kind of suit, you know, but it's really loud with different colors. And then you've got this hot girl, um, and he first he runs into them, and they quickly, um, you know, at first he seems friendly. He's trying to hit on the girl because it's Reggie, right? So of oh, course he is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what else is he supposed to do? The world is falling apart, but Reggie's got to get some. You know, that's yeah. kind of his one of his main motivations throughout the films. He tries Again, to kind of like, make even after his family was killed hours before he's right, right, yeah. exactly. And all this terrible stuff has happened. His friend may be dead. He's in hot pursuit of the tall man to try to rescue his friend, but hey, you know, yeah. there's some tail to be had. Reggie needs to it. take a break and, and you know, he's he's yeah. got to fulfill his needs. So he's kind of hitting on her. And of course, they they immediately kind of attack him. And um, then we they also, uh, you know, come upon this house as well. And that's when the kind of mini home alone plot with Timmy uh, happens where he's got all these booby traps and he's got like a Frisbee with razor blades and he ends up pretty much. I mean, the thing I enjoyed about this is that they don't hold back. I mean, you know, it's a kid, but it's some of the bloodiest scenes of the of the, of the franchise with this kid going full uh, Home Alone times 10 uh, against these goofy antagonists, right? Um, and these antagonists kind of come and go in the movie because they, when they get killed, they're actually like zombies, and there's a whole incredible car chase that involves the, this pink hearse they have uh, and the uh, Barracuda, you know, the, the Hemi-Cuda. Don't and, they put and Reggie in the trunk at some point? They put Reggie in the trunk and the kid yeah. rescues him. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and Reggie's way of paying back the kid uh, for rescuing him and saving him his, his life multiple times is to, of course, make him sleep in the car one night when he wants to get some, try to get some, make some moves on Rocky, right? Yeah. Um, there's also a, uh, a sequence where, you know, they're um, 
they are out in the woods and sleeping bags and and the tall man kind of comes to them through the, this in, interdimensional portal and there's this whole scene where his hands get caught up and the hands kind of come alive and you know are attacking everybody and that's kind of one of these set pieces during the film we also have jody return uh jody is now a spear himself this is also the film, right, where we find out the spheres have little brains in them, I believe. Yeah. Right. This is three. I get them three and four. Some of the scenes mixed up, but um, this is definitely three. And uh, Jody returns as this dark black sphere and right. he's kind of right. helping right. them. But it's kind of ambiguous as to whether, he, you know, because he's kind of, you know, in this trance almost, you know. That's partially probably Bill Thornberry's acting ability showing, you know, his wooden <laughs> acting ability where he's kind of just so low key, but, you know, maybe yeah. he's kind of monotone because of his lack of skills. Um, and, you know, he comes back and, and, and Mike is kind of catatonic as well. You know, in the second film we had Mike kind of become a action hero duo with Reggie, right. you know, and there's, there's a lot more energy in this film. You have, Mike kind of he's almost taken over by the tall man and he eventually has like these glowing eyes, you know, his, his eyes become spheres. He has a spear in his head. Um, and so it's kind of similar to the second one in some ways. It's more fun in some ways because you have these goofy characters and you have Rocky who kind of adds some fun, even though she's not the world's greatest actress either. Um, but Nobody she does have third a third one is I know. I got to, you were just mentioning, you know, uh, the fact that Angus Grimm maybe is the only one who can kind of act in these movies, really, you know, if you think well, about it, well, I, maybe James LaGrosse, you know, well, that, um, that, that that's kind of what I was going to say is like, yeah. I, I think that watching three after two, I, I like three too, as well. But one of the things that you notice is that uh, from two, James LaGrosse is actually a decent actor and a Michael Baldwin can't act worth shit. Right. And so, and neither can Bill Thornton. None of them can. And the, the the funny thing is, it's like, you know, they have these scenes where, you know, he's being taken over by the tall man and he's emoting about this and, and all this kind of stuff. It's just a very different movie just because I think that, you know, when they went with the professional, as we were talking about how uh, Don uh, was saying, you know, working actors, there's a difference in skill level. I just have yeah, to say. Yeah, right. Let's, um, let's, before we get too into that, let's just go over some of the, some of the background of the film and then we can get into more evaluations, which is kind of what you're heading toward anyway, I think, yeah. unless we want to talk any more about any plot points that no, we don't, I mean, we can bring ones. up plot points in our, in our, yeah. in our evals, you got right? The main ones, um, yeah. Right. So, you know, what happened with this film? Why did we have Phantasm 3? Well, after Phantasm 2, Don Coscarelli was trying to make other stuff. He was he had a few screenplays. He had like this medieval action movie screenplay, and he had a couple of other screenplays he was trying to get written. And he had no success with these, right? So, uh, you know, he he went back to uh, Reggie had worked in, in a mortuary uh, part-time. And one that scene in the mortuary with Rocky, we're talking about with her friend that gets killed. That's actually... I think that's the set, but the the actual doorway going into it is this um, mortuary that was in Compton. So Reggie was actually working in a mortuary like really? that because, yeah, he was working in a mortuary and he was like delivering flowers and doing these little odd jobs because obviously, you know, he's he's not really getting much other acting other than phantasm and he's kind of a musician. So he's got to have a regular day job. And that was turned out to be his day job. So once Don Coscarelli saw this, this location that Reggie told him about, they decided, Hey, let's make another one of these. Um, the budget was uh, 
Not that bad on this one. It was 2.5 million. So it went down by 500,000. Of course, it's like, what, five, six years later. And, you know, so movies are probably more expensive. And but this still looks pretty comparable to Phantasm 2. I don't think the special effects are, are, are much worse. And the budget isn't much worse. It's still a lot more than the original film was made for, right? Yep. So uh, they uh, brought back Bill Thornberry as Jody, right? Um, and then they also got a Michael Baldwin back and Kevin Connors played Timmy and they had Gloria Lynn Henry play Rocky. And um, one notable thing during the making is they had this incredible um, car crash, right? This this car chase between the pink hearse and the Cuda. Is and that where they, it flips what, over? That's where it flips over. And what yeah, they yeah. did was called what's called a pipe jump. So they set up this kind of um, ramp on, you know, the way that the, the, the crash happens is the car goes over uh, there's some crashed cars and it's attempting to dodge them and it goes up. There's this pipe that's hidden kind of a ramp and it goes one wheel goes up the ramp and then the car just flips over. And what's interesting is they got this legendary stunt driver named Bob Ivy, who would who would also work in four and five Ravager and, and Oblivion. And when he did the crash, Don Coscarelli actually closed. He was so freaked out by what it looked like. He kind of closed his eyes out of fear of what was going to happen. And he worried that he missed the shot. Well, he ended up getting the shot, but Bob Ivy, he was all in protective gear in the car, but he actually got knocked unconscious and they had to pull him out of the car and, and, uh, you know, resuscitate him. He was fine, but they ended up getting the shot and it looks pretty awesome in the film. I mean, the car is like flipping over and it's pretty crazy looking. It's one of the better stunts in the film. They probably rented um, that rig from the 18 because, uh, you know, they, did that stunt like eight? Oh times yeah, that's a, that was such a typical stunt during this time, right? That that's yeah. such a classic stunt. And as far as other facts about this film, of course, um, Rocky's friend is named Tanisha, and the two of them are are you know part members of this town, and they're wandering around, and they're in the in the mortuary, and of course, the sphere comes, kills Tanisha in this really bloody scene. And this scene was, again, flagged by the ratings board. They were going to try to get this movie rated NC-17 because of all the blood. So, so again, Don Coscarelli had to fight for it, but he ended up kind of cutting it down uh, to decrease the amount of blood flow to get the R rating. The movie was, uh, was only released in theaters in two areas, Baton Rouge and St. Louis, for two weeks. And it did well. But Universal didn't want to release it in the theater. So it went straight to video and it sold well, but it, you know, it didn't really, Don Coscarelli was really upset that they didn't actually release it in theaters because it ended up doing pretty well when it, on in its two week release in those markets, right? Why, why those markets are just random markets? Was there yeah, they're particular- just random markets that they chose that were probably, you know, they didn't want to do big cities. They wanted to do kind of low to medium level markets. Right. right. So that's the only reason it was like a, it was kind of a test bed to drum up publicity for the release. Um, but there were a lot of problems. Like one of the problems during this time too, is universal had this promotion where they were doing this thing with, I think one of the fast food restaurants where you could get a video like as part of your meal for an extra five bucks or something. It was like this promo. And of course, Blockbuster was pissed ab- about this. So they, they were actually, they actually um, kind of threatened to not, they, they kind of barred any new releases from universal from appearing in their stores. And huh. so this really hurt phantasm three. So this is something that Don cost. I mean, he's such an underdog during this whole time. And it's, it's so great that he was able to, you know, get these movies made 
in spite of all the obstacles, right? The studio interference and, you know, the low budgets and, you know, trying to be resourceful and get anything that, you know, he needed to get done. And he was also able to keep this kind of family together. I mean, the guy, some of the guy who, uh, Carrie Pryor was one of the guys who did the effects and he would work on the next two films. And then Bob Ivy, the stunt driver, would work on the next two films. A lot of the crew was working on all these films. Um, and so he was kind of able to keep this unit. And again, he had Reggie again and again, and then he brought back the original actor. So he, it was kind of a triumph that he was even able to get this out at all because studios were just not interested, even though these kind of movies, they did okay. You know, they didn't lose a ton of money or anything. So uh, why don't we talk about our, what we think of the film? Uh, I don't know if you want to go first or uh, yeah, I can go. I, I like, I'll go first. I, I like this film uh, quite a bit. I think that it got a lot of criticism, I think, from the original. It, look, there's a whole cadres of people who are in the Phantasm who only like the first movie, and some people only like the second movie because it was very different, but they like the difference. Then they right. like getting back to the third movie. I like the third movie, as we'll talk about in the final evaluations here. Um, I, I like the second movie as well, and, and I'll get into that a little bit later about the, di the differences and why I like both of them. I think that the Rocky character is a really good character. I thought it was she was funny. It kind of worked. She's not a great actress, but neither is Reggie. And yeah. so the two of them together kind of kind of worked. Um the the fact She's that charismatic though. She is. Like she, is. she has good really good screen presence and and yeah, I think her she was a really good addition to the series. Like she's definitely, you know, a good I, I mean she's really popular with the fan base, uh, you know, as a character. Like she a lot of a lot of the Phantasm fan base really like her. And she definitely put a spin on things for the series. And she was believable as a low budget action star. You know, yep, actually, I, I, I mean, yep. you know, if you take that compliment in the spirit in which it was given. Right. So and obviously, you know, as you mentioned, um, there's a couple things about this movie that I like in particular. One I like some of the comedy elements, although there are fans who don't like that. And they say it's too evil dead. It's too over the top with the looters and they become yeah. a little bit. And, and uh, you mentioned before a little bit about the home alone subplot. That's kind of the weaker parts of the movie, the, the kid, although the scene you talked about where, uh, you know, Reggie's trying to get some uh, with Rocky and he makes the kids sleep in the car is amazing because they're on the run. They're going through all the ghost towns. The tall man's after them. Um, you know, they're basically barricading themselves everywhere they go. They go and they hit up this old, old motel where they're going to, you know, shack up for the night. And, you know, Reggie pulls this, you know, what, 12-year-old kid, something like that, aside and says, hey, kid, why don't you sleep in the car? <laughs> so like they, like what a guardian you know what i mean like he, i know had, there's all these people after them there's these lurkers yeah. and you know there's these zombies these uh three looter zombies and yet where you know and even rocky tries to say oh yeah there's enough room come inside and reggie's yeah. like waving behind her like to yeah. the kid. oh no 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 like yeah, that's yeah. that is yeah what a great guardian he he attempted to drop dump the kid too right he, yeah. turned, he tended to there was this house on the outskirts of town that somehow had a a woman with all these kids and he attempts to get her to babysit or take take guardianship of of Timmy and then he ends up jumping in the trunk to cuz he wants to go with Reggie yeah. and 
you know, he even lets the kid drive the car and they have a, a seemingly good relationship, but he's just like an asshole. He's trying to ditch this kid just so he can get some, you know? Yeah. Which is pretty hilarious and pretty yeah. classic Reggie. Um, the, the scene that of course that I need to talk about here is after he makes the kid sleep in the car, um, he, he and Rocky, of course, naturally there's one bed in this motel room and, you know, Rocky seems very intent on actually getting some sleep. You know, they've been kicking ass and avoiding the tall man and his, and his minions. And that doesn't stop Reggie. Reggie is actively trying to get with, uh, with Rocky and I'm just going to play a little uh, a little clip from that just to kind of give you the flavor, so to speak, of this encounter. Yeah, he is quite persistent with her uh, trying to get her in the sack. Ever try vanilla? <laughs> Didn't I tell you? Dairy products give me gas. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure vanilla is actually a dairy product. Yeah, vanilla no. is like not. It's yeah. But it is not a dairy product. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so obviously uh, Reggie is, uh, you know, trying to uh, appeal to Rocky's uh, maybe pity uh, at this point. <laughs> and and uh, you heard her response to that. Uh, she winds up in the scene, you know, kind of just again, Reggie's borderline aggressive and in insisting that, uh, you know, him and Rocky have some kind of physical encounter. And, and Rocky, being the resourceful gal that she is, sort of uh, teases him a little bit um, and, you know, implies that they're going to get it on, uh, put handcuffs on him, which Reggie is is very into and, and thinks there's going to be some kind of, you know, uh, erotic, maybe exotic erotic encounter, goes for it. And then when she has the handcuffs on him, says good night and, you know, go, tries to go to sleep there after. So that was a pretty amusing scene. Reggie strikes out again. One thing that is different about this gal and his attempt, it was unsuccessful. That's not, uh, you know, super uncommon with Reggie uh, in this series, of course. But uh, uh, Rocky is the one woman that he tries to get with who actually doesn't wind up being the tall man or one of the tall man minions, if I recall correctly. So that's a, a little bit of a different thing for him. So um, anyway, I... It was funny. I liked it. It was more comedy. It, it carried on some of the Reggie horn dog things from the second uh, episode, uh, second uh, movie rather in the series. And Reggie goes full Reggie, which to me is what Phantasm is about. So I, I really, I kind of like this movie. Um, and I could do without the Home Alone stuff. And the some of the looters were a little bit uh, ludicrous. Yeah, I know. Pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I enjoyed it. Whenever it's on, I like watching it. So what's your take on this one? Yeah, so I'm ranking the films as we go along. So just to recap from the part one of the of this episode, I ranked the first one number one. I ranked the second one number two. And no surprise, the third one is right after that. So number three, I think it's very similar to the second one in some ways. Uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit about how, why I think the second one is better. Um, and I actually like the comedy elements of this more than the dramatic elements. I think what I don't like. So it's great to see Jody again in a way. And it's great to see a Michael Baldwin again in a way. But I don't like what the what Coscarelli does with the characters like he makes them 
very it from from a from a logical point of view and storytelling it makes sense right yeah. these characters have been harassed by the tall man and they're they're being further drawn into his universe so naturally and obviously with jody he was dead right so he is coming back from the dead and he's part of this tall man's world and and i like that there it's ambiguous to whether he's good or evil but i miss jody from the first film i miss that fucking bro dude with his leather jacket, you know, his kind of cool clothes and his yeah. ro- the Rolling Stones T-shirt. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the kind of cooler older brother. The dose and he comes the back, guitar. He's, yeah. he's like kind of this chubby schlub who's so monotone. I almost feel like, what's his job? The tall man's fucking accountant? You know, he has like no personality <laughs> yeah. at all. And he's kind of, you know, there, there's even that line where um, the great scene you mentioned between Reggie and Rocky, where there's this dream sequence. So, you know, obviously you mentioned that uh, Reggie tries to un- tries to get with Rocky and he's unsuccessful and she ends up handcuffing him to the bed, you know, and he thinks it's this kinky game. Really, she's trying to keep keep him away from her so he's not harassing her so she can get some sleep. Uh, but he has this dream where he's actually having sex with her. Yeah. And it's so funny because he's just kind of like standing there and just, you know, moving and grooving with his kind of technique there. And Jody comes up and he's like, Reggie, you got to get behind me or something. And it's supposed to be a funny line, but, but Bill Thornberry's delivery is so bad. It's funny for the wrong reasons, right? It's like, it's just so bad. And then same with Mike, you know, in the second movie with James LaGrosse playing the role, they're kind of, there's, you know, Mike's kind of in this weird ESP world and he's kind of, you know, got some weird, you know, he would probably have more dream sequences and it would be more surreal if Universal had allowed dream sequences. But as we mentioned in the in part one, they did not. Right. They wanted it to be very by the book. But you get this kind of pairing between them. The actors have good chemistry together and they're action heroes together. Whereas in this film, like you mentioned, with Michael, I don't think it's just a Michael Baldwin's performance. I think it's a script choice by Coscarelli to make him more kind of like a tra- traumatized by this experience. And he's kind of half in the tall man's world and half in reality. Yeah. And I just don't, it just doesn't, you know, that the, that's why you need Rocky and, and Timmy, because then you have these, these uh, partners with Reggie and you have that chemistry, but you could have done that with the other two guys, or at least with Mike. Right. Because Mike is not completely in the tall man's world. So I get it from a logical point of view of proceeding with the plot. But I just don't enjoy that. You know, I just don't enjoy their performances very much. And so I think that's a weakness. Um, As far as the Home Alone stuff, I kind of like it because it's so bloody and it's funny to me that, that he puts this kid in this movie and the kid is just an absolute savage. Like the kid's got all these. I mean, he's he just like slices a character's neck and blood just spews out. So I think it's kind of funny. funny. And and it's almost like a parody of home alone. It's like a sick parody because there's no doubt he was influenced by home alone. It's obvious. It was around this time, you know, a few years before, Um, you know, and it's almost an homage. It's not even, yeah, it's like an homage. So I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, And I love the stunt, uh, the, the, the her stunt. And a lot of the action in this movie is good. I also like that Rocky's a badass and she gets a, you know, her nunchucks out and that's how she fights the spheres. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's some of the a- action is awkward, like the ending with all the spheres. It really looks like a bunch of Christmas tree ornaments. It doesn't look very good. Obviously, you know, some early computer special effects in this one. Um, I always kind of go for the practical effects, but there still are practical effects and the makeup and everything looks pretty good. Um, there's also that weird laser light thing that, you know, there's this whole sequence where the tall man is standing in front of this laser light. Reminds me a little bit too much of Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax video. You know, it's such it's such a cheap, it's a very cheap looking effect. Yeah. You know, I like in the first film where they're filming in a warehouse, but they made it a mausoleum and you don't really know they're filming in a warehouse. It looks pretty good. In this, that whole Frankie goes to Hollywood sequence. It yeah. looks like it's filmed in a fucking warehouse. Like Relax. it looks like a set. Yeah. Don't and it, it looks really cheap. So, um, but again, because of the comedic sequences, because of the action, because it's generally not boring, right? We'll get to one that I think is kind of boring in a minute. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I've revealed my cards a little bit too much. But, um, and, you know, Rocky as as the as a charismatic partner for, for uh, Reggie, I kind of like this movie, um, and I think it's sim- it's almost a Phantasm Two Part Two. It's much more. It doesn't really seem to have much to do with the first one. Uh, it's a lot more of a sequel to the second one, but it's you know I'd say it's pretty entertaining overall, and I so I'd rank it third right after two. So let's Makes move sense. on uh, okay. to the next uh, film. All right, so let me play the trailer. This is Phantasm Four. So here you go. For 20 years, the secret of the spheres has remained a mystery. Now, two innocent people are about to confront the ultimate evil. The final game I'll begin. I gotta say, like, I love all the the horror movie with balls and you know, the yeah. play, like, it's just funny, you know. If honestly, you're not scared, you're already dead. Yeah, that's like, a great tagline. All those. I things. mean, yeah, it's great. Uh, okay, this one's gonna be a challenge to summarize the plot because the plot is kind of crazy in this one. It's all over the place, right? But um, this film takes place in, I guess. What is left of the world? I don't know. It's mostly in the desert. And the whole dream sequence thing we talked about, how it was kind of de-emphasized in part two. And in part three, it's there, but more for kind of entertainment value. This movie is like, you can't really tell what's real and what's not through the whole thing. It's very much in the spirit of the first film. It's very surreal. And it kind of is also kind of meandering, right? So it starts out, we're kind of... uh, I guess we're kind of left at the at the at the end of the first one, like Reggie seemingly escapes from, you know, he's pinned to the wall with all these spheres. Timmy is killed. 
right? He's he's killed in the way that all little kids are killed in Phantasm, where some arms come out of a mirror and grab yeah, him, you know. And and um, Rocky has already left. Like Rocky leaves at the end of the film, and she kind of just says, "Well, I'm out of here. You know, I'm good. Whatever. Um, you know." So she doesn't come to any kind of uh, grim end. Tyra uh, being but, sexually harassed by Reggie, I guess. Right, and and but but Mike is almost he he tells Reggie to leave him at the end of the film because he's completely taken over by the tall man. So what, what you have at the beginning of the third of the fourth film are these parallel plots where Reggie is kind of in pursuit of Mike and Mike is kind of, I'm not sure what Mike is doing. He's kind of like running from the tall man, but kind of pursuing him at the same time. And the tall man kind of comes and goes and there's, there's a series of sequences that don't really have to do with the plot, but they're in some ways the best parts of the film, right? Because the plot itself is a lot of this, a lot of sequences with the tall man coming and threatening. You see a lot of these portal gateways in the desert. You know, it's just like almost like a nightmare uh, come to life. But then you have these sequences where they're more action oriented, right? So the film kind of, they're wandering in the desert aimlessly. And then all of a sudden Reggie comes across this zombie cop and there's this really kind of entertaining action sequence with him. And then you have, again, Reggie, of course, has to meet a woman, right? So he meets a woman and he has he takes her to this uh, wreckage of a hotel where they're trying to sleep over the night. She gets in a car wreck, right? And um, he offers to drive her to the next town, whatever that means, because they're in the middle of Death Valley or wherever. And he ends up taking her to this wreckage of a hotel room. And of course, what does he try to do? He tries to get more action because that is one of a recurring theme here. And, you know, there's this really probably the best part of the movie is this where, you know, she actually has uh, spears in her breasts, uh, sentinels that come out of her breasts and, you know, uh, they, they attack him and stuff. It's, it's, you got to talk about how it's sort of like the Reggie acting tour de force when he thinks he's going to get some from this beautiful woman. And then of course, as you're just saying, you know, these fears come out of her uh, chest. It's, it's sort of just like watching him react to that is really taxing every little bit of acting that Reggie can do, which is pretty amusing to me. Right, right. It's yeah, I mean, we'll get more of that into when we're actually talking about our opinions of the film. But yeah, it's it's a it's another one of these sequences that I think kind of stands out. And but as far as the plot goes, this movie does do some kind of interesting things. So one thing um, we'll talk more about this in the making of the film, but there's a lot of flashbacks to the original actors in the first film. Uh, And so you have it kind of going back and forth in time. But then there's also this whole plot where Mike ends up going through the door and he finds Jebediah Morningside, who is the tall man before he became the tall man. So he goes back in time and he finds this tall man, but he's this kindly man. There's also a sequence where he he goes to a Civil War camp where there's fighting and stuff. And he sees Jebediah Morningside injecting some of the yellow mustard blood, which appears in all the movies into, into a patient as if he's treating the patient, but he's evil. But he also, then he goes to Jebediah Morningside's house and he, he discovers that Jebediah Morningside was this kind of early scientist who was experimenting with these portal (laughs) gates. Right. And that's how he becomes, we learned that that's how he becomes. So it's a tall man origin story. Yeah. So that's, and, and you remember from the first film, there is that sequence when Mike goes to the fortune teller, kind of the grandma's house, and he looks at, he sees a picture that's an old photograph of the tall man. And, and he sees that the tall man is like 
you know, it's from the 1800s. So he already, we already know in the first film that the tall man is like, you know, uh, uh, over a hundred years old, you know, and he, he's like kind of this immortal creature, but now in this movie it's expanded upon and we learn his origin and Jody is back, but now Jody is actually, you know, and, and again, Jody kind of comes and he's supposed to help, but he kind of just delivers some wooden dialogue. Doesn't really say much, but in the end, he kind of turns out to be evil. So we find out that Jody is actually part of the tall man's plan for, uh, for Mike. And then there's some other sequences where Mike ends up taking some different parts of the car and building a sphere and he puts it into the engine. That's a really weird. And the sphere kind of comes out and attacks the tall man and then blows the tall man up. But of course he's not dead. Right. Right. Um, Because you can't really kill him. So there's this, there's a lot of kind of disjointed sequences in this, but it's also got a lot of the feel of the first film. Like it's much darker than any of the sequels. It has almost Again, there's that one sequence with Reggie with the with the woman that's got some comedy, but for the most part, there's not much comedy in this movie. And Reggie, uh, you know, he's got his shotgun and he's he's chasing the tall man and fighting. You know, there's many uh, he he encounters the lurkers many times in the desert, and he's you know blowing them apart as usual. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say about the plot that I may have forgotten. No, but just that it goes back and forth between um, old and new and it has clips from the original sort of movie making and time period and and modern day and in the movie and all that kind of stuff. It just goes back and forth a lot. Right. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So it's it's I think I almost feel like I could see this again and maybe get more out of it because I had a real hard time following the story and I thought it took a long time to get going, but we'll talk more about that in what, in our opinion. So before we do that, let's talk about some background. So what was Bob or Don Coscarelli doing after uh, Phantasm three? Well, interestingly enough, as I mentioned in, in, in part one, you know, he had met these two aspiring filmmakers while working on his film Survival Quest. They were PAs, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. In the meantime, they had become huge because of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, right? So Pulp Fiction was co-written by Roger Avery. He actually won an Oscar for it, right? He shared the Oscar with Quentin Tarantino. So Roger Avery, when asked after winning the award, what he wanted to do was he said, I want to write a massive sequel for Phantasm. So he wrote this screenplay called Phantasm 1999, also known as Phantasms. And and the basic plot is this is like uh, the tall man has taken over the earth. We're now in a post-apocalyptic world. There are two safe zones in New York and California. So it's like escape from New York, but on a national scale. Um, And Reggie is he is safe and he wants to go find Mike, who's in the tall man's universe. Right. And so he's he gets together with some soldiers one of which who was supposed to be played by Bruce Campbell. That was the part that was sort of the idea. And he enters what's called the plague zone driving the, the, the Hemi Cuda, but it's been refitted to a kind of Mad Max road warrior. It's also very much like road warrior, this movie, Mad Max road warrior uh, machine called the battle Cuda. And, and this battle Cuda, um, is, you know, he drives this and he goes and fights the forces of evil on a, on a, kind of army of darkness, Mad Max, uh, you know, scale. And um, that was sort of the idea. It, they would have had to have a huge budget for this movie and they just couldn't get it made, right? No one wanted to to make it. Um, and what's interesting is, well, as we'll talk about, a lot of these ideas resurface with Phantasm Ravager, which, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to that film. Um, 
so distributors and and fans really wanted another Phantasm. Phantasm three had sold, you know, it made money. It, it made money in the home video market and the rental market, and so they wanted uh, another one. But Don Coscarelli again was kind of confronted with, well, what do I do? Well, around this time, he had discovered that um, there was all this footage because when they the original cut of Phantasm one was like three hours long. And and he had all this background story, right? Because remember, as we talked about in part one, his first two films were much more character driven. They were much more kind of regular films that were much more uh, dealing with family and regular concepts, not horror. And he brought some of that to Phantasm. So there's a lot of backstory with Mike and his brother. And, you know, that wasn't used. It was discarded because it was rightfully seen to kind of detract from the central narrative. But he had all this footage. So he thought, well, you know, one way to save money would be to incorporate this footage into the plot and kind of flash back and forward in time. And it's pretty amazing because, you know, some of these sequences, uh, you know, I think if people didn't know this, they'd be like, how did he do this? You know, cause they're completely different sequences than you've ever seen. Right. Uh, the budget was super low for this. So this, but the budget for this was $650,000. This was uh, in 1998 money. And yeah. you can even tell when you watch the opening credits, it's like this computer graphic. It looks so cheap. Right. And this movie, I think one of the downfalls of this movie is that if you really see how cheap this is, it looks a lot worse than Phantasm three. Uh, it is very, very low budget. Um, it's in, in order to save money again, they decided to film in death Valley. Right. So they didn't need sets, et cetera. Uh, and uh one interesting thing about that is they had to get the CUDA to, to Death Valley. But of course, this is an old hot rod. So it was constantly overheating, right? So they had to have this stunt driver drive really slow to get it even to Death Valley. So this, again, is the, as we tell, talk about the story of these films, we're also talking about the, the, the story, the epic story of trying to get them made and dealing with these obstacles. And I, I love the stories of that. Um, additionally, as I mentioned, there are a lot of these evil Jawas, a.k.a. lurkers in the film. And many of the scenes have a lurker that is played by Don Coscarelli's young daughter at the time, Chloe. Uh, so she's actually getting you know, blown to bits and shot up by Reggie. Uh, she's, the, she's the little girl in the suit in the costume probably a lot um, of fun for her you know to be in the movie right right and and one of the flashback scenes i mentioned uh going back to the 1800s for the jebediah morningside origin story we have this civil war scene and what happened is they just they found some civil war reenactors that were willing to do all this for free and so they <laughs> that's how they got that scene it looks pretty cool actually and and a uh, fun fact is roger avery is in that scene as well he's one of the soldiers um, as far as reception, you know, it did okay on video. Um, but what's interesting about this one is this is one that is very divisive among fans. So you have the fans who like the more kind of action and comedic, the uh, Phantasm 2, Phantasm 3. And then you have the fans that like the first one and they like the kind of surreal nature of the first one. And a lot of fans felt like this was going back to the original uh, movie's tone because it's a much more serious tone. Even though you have some comedic light scenes, it's not like the third one. It's much darker, right? And they also like that they tried to make it more dreamlike and surreal, which kind of makes the plot difficult to discuss. And I think, but I think a lot of fans like that. Some fans put this as their second favorite uh, after the first one, the fans that tend to like the first one. But we'll talk about um, what we think now. So uh, I don't know if you want to take it away on yours. Yeah, I generally was more or less fairly bored with this movie. You know, I've seen it, I think, twice. 
Um, the confusing nature of the plot going back and forth over, you know, in time, the, the low budget nature wasn't really that interesting to me. The use of the scenes from the first movie seemed like it was glued in in a lot of places. It, it didn't really seem like a well, um, you know, thought out plot in a lot of ways. And maybe that was um, by design or like purposely vague about a lot of the plot elements just to keep people guessing, I guess, or maybe not having their shit together about it. Um, of course, it's another Reggie misfire with the blonde woman who he picks up, um, whose you know boobs turned out to be the you know metal spheres. Um, I want to play a clip from Don Corscarelli um, talking about that a little bit here. So here's this. It was really an outgrowth of this storyline that we'd created for the Reggie character, which was the fact that he was unlucky in love. In your dreams, Reggie. <laughs> if you only knew. The greatest audience satisfaction, some of the best laughs came out of Reggie's sexual frustration and his relationship with this Samantha Phillips character. And so then it just evolved into Phantasm Three. only this time it was with the Rocky character. Sweet dreams. And so I was really trying to come up with something that could really top that. I mean, you know. So that is where he's talking about the uh, metal uh, spheres as as her boobs. And uh, you heard the other parts of, you know, Reggie, you heard the handcuff scene that we talked about with with Rocky. So a couple of things that I sort of wonder here about all. So you get the idea Reggie's unlucky in love and it continues on, I think, in in the fifth movie, too. Um, But something I'm confused about is all these women, were they the tall man the entire time? Meaning like was was Reggie having like a gay relationship with the tall man and not knowing it? I, I'm, I'm confused about this. Were the women not the tall man and were turned at some point behind his back? Um, I don't know. Did, did you ever understand what that's about? Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. There's there's a lot of stuff about Mike being kind of groomed to be the next tall man there, that's very implied. Like there's one scene where he's wearing his outfit yeah. in this movie. But it's, it, again, I think this whole the whole point of this movie is that it's a supposed to be kind of confusing and surreal in a way. Um, you know, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be ambiguous as to what's going on. And there's a lot of kind of meandering and wandering, which again, as you mentioned, is kind of boring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I almost feel like I need to see this again, but it wasn't that enjoyable of an experience <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first exactly. time around. So I kind of don't want to, um, yeah, so I I agree. I think this is I think some people have watched this a few times and kind of they feel like they get it, but I felt like I was just kind of baffled half the time. And I'll talk more about that when I go into it, uh what I think is the flaws of this this film. I I also don't understand that the tall man's relationship with with Reggie seems to be a little bit like he just likes messing with Reggie. Yeah. He's, he's not yeah. really interested in like turning Reggie into a lurker or whatever. So he's just mo- mostly interested in fucking with Reggie because if he was interested in turning Reggie, it's like in the very first movie, the, the Jody character gets with the woman the, in, in purple and lavender or whatever in the graveyard and like is instantly, you know, turned into the dark side or whatever it seems like. 
But with Reggie, he's just like messing with Reggie, which is kind of funny. I mean, that's an element of the movies that I enjoy. Like, the tall man just thinks of Reggie as this big goof and likes messing with him. But the other thing I'm not really, and you, you just touched on it, is I'm not really clear about is, why does the tall man have such a hard-on for Mike? Like, is there, like, a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory things going on where he's just, like, he's looking for a successor to yeah. his evil empire? Yeah, I think so. I think is, so. Is but that it, it? Yes, but it's handled in kind of a clumsy way, so you're not really sure what's going on. And then with Reggie... He's obvious. He likes to harass him, but he know he could kill him at any time. Yeah, and it right. Doesn't. I mean, yeah. he doesn't. Right. So it's. I think that's. It's kind of the nightmare element. It's circling back to the nightmare element where this character is harassing you in your dreams, and you're and he's he's trying to drive you nuts essentially. And right. I think he's doing that with both characters, but he has a different relationship with Reggie where it's just a harassment relationship. But with Mike, he's kind of grooming him as well. So it's. Again, it's not really clear to me. Yeah, After I, one viewing, it's hard to tell. It's not really clear to me either. And, and it's like the tall man goes about his sort of grooming of, of Mike very, very slowly. It doesn't seem like he needs to. Obviously, there's four or five movies to, to make, so maybe that's part of it. But that was always weird to me. A couple other things just sort of wondering aloud a bit, maybe you have some insights on is, um, why does a tall man squash his victims down? What is, you know, when they become right. little, like, what is, is it to save space? Like, I, I'm not <laughs> sure, like, what is the motivation for why they become, uh, you know, dwarfs or dwarf sized, uh, Jawas, maybe there's less room in the other tall man dimension. I, I never could figure that out. Uh, I don't think it was ever explained, but maybe if it was, I didn't pick up on it. And then lastly, I, I just got to say the whole Jebediah Morningside thing was weird just because of Angus Grimm's acting on when he's playing Jebediah Morningside. He's like, hi, I'm Jebediah Morningside. Have yeah, he's extra, extra friendly. So he's <laughs> trying to be friendly. the exact opposite of the tall man, yeah. right? It's, so it's, it's like, hey, because it's jarring, right? He's, yeah. Mike's like, wait a minute, this is the same guy I know who's been like the figure haunting my life yeah. for yeah it's driven me mad and got you know got me into an insane asylum and is killing everyone i care about uh but yeah it's now he's this nice guy i think that was what the the goal was and i think he does fine you know i i um i don't mind those scenes that much except for the the, the look of them like the design of that room it looks so cheap it does, you know it yeah. just looks it looks like uh so fake that whole with the weird um you know, kind of gears that he has that operate his, uh, you know, steam powered, whatever it is, machine that, that gets him through the, the gate, you know, that creates a gate to the other dimensions. So it just, I think that's one of the problems with this movie is that it just looks so shitty, you know, yeah, uh, because of the effects. His right. steampunk uh, portal transport there. Right. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of what I thought about it in general. I was pretty bored by it, but just th this movie just made me wonder about the ongoing sort of, plot elements even more so so what are your takes on it yeah my take is that i didn't really enjoy watching the film but i admire what they tried to do you know i think that's what's interesting is they tried to you know maybe there didn't need to be any other sequels to phantasm is kind of what i'm going to be saying with a lot of these last two films and i will say this is my lowest ranked film i rank it even lower than ravager only barely because ravager has so many problems that uh, but I'll talk about why I like Ravager a little bit more. Um, it kind of does some things I thought the series should do. But this one, it, even though it it delves into the, to the um, 
into the backstory, it's so convoluted and so kind of cheap and so directionless for its first half that I just didn't enjoy it. You know, I found it kind of excruciating to sit through. And I think I might understand it more if I sat through it again, but then I might not. Right. So as far as the things I like, you know, one thing I wrote down here is that um, if Phantasm 3 is kind of the hair metal Phantasm, then this is the grunge Phantasm. This is like pure 1998. It's completely dour and depressing for most of the film with a few exceptions. It's the Yarl um, of Phantasm movies. Right. And and I think, I think one thing I admire is they tried to go back to the spirit of the first film. They at least attempted that. And I like that they give a backstory of the tall man. I thought by the fourth movie, they should do something like that. And it seems like a logical thing to do. Uh, obviously, there were some cool effects they did uh, with the, like the, you know, the sphere boobs was kind of cool. That was actually an idea Roger Avery came up with that was supposed to be in the th- in Phantasm 1999 that they just took from there. Um, and it was kind of a cool idea because you're always wanting to, you know, they're always doing something new with the spheres, right? In the first movie, there's the single sphere. In the, in the second movie, there's more spheres with different attachments that do different kinds of damage. Uh, in the third film, there's just these tons of spheres flying around. Uh, and then there's the Jody sphere and you find out the spheres have brains. Well, in this one, you've got the boob spheres, yeah. right? That's kind of the main innovation here. Um, and then innovation. you've also got the weird cyber uh, steampunk sphere that Mike builds, right? So there's always some like little innovation with the spheres. Um, and I like that. It reminded me of almost like a David Lynch film, like one of his later films, like Inland Empire, which is another film that's difficult to sit through because it's almost plotless. It's almost this series of sequences. And I feel like um, that's a strength in a way because it is disorienting and it is kind of creepy. But now we'll get to the bad points. So the bad points is that the film is kind of directionless for the first half of the film. And it's really boring. I found it really, really boring and repetitive with a lot of kind of the tall man appearing and going away and Jody appearing and going away and, and things like that. And the scenes that are good don't seem to have anything to do with the film. It was almost like they didn't really have a good cohesive script. So they're just like, well, we want to do some cool things in the movie. Like we want to have Mike have a spear. We want to have a a zombie cop have this whole fight with Reggie. We want to have the boob spheres. It was almost like they had a series of sequences and they're like, okay, we need to put this, these sequences together with some kind of story. Right. And then they thought, well, we've got movie, we've got stuff from the first film and we can do this whole origin thing. And it's all kind of thrown together in a hot, Podge that doesn't really add up to a cohesive thing. And I think that's the problem I had. Um, and the other thing is it looks like shit. Like m- this movie mostly looks bad. It, you know, a lot of the special effects that, you know, some of the special effects are amusing and clever, but they, you know, you can see that it had a way smaller budget than the third film. It's jarringly obvious. And what's even more obvious uh, to that point is that they're filming just in the desert, right? They're yeah. trying to save money. One fun fact about this, though, that I forgot to mention is they do have one shot that's really cool that they did in the story of how they did it. So there's this shot where Mike is in the middle of Los Angeles. He's on Wilshire Boulevard and it's completely empty. And then the tall man shows up. Well, the way they did that was they actually waited till like Easter or something. They waited till holiday because Don Coscarelli was kind of trying to figure out when he could film in L.A. and have it be abandoned. Right. He wanted to film in somewhere familiar so they would get up and like like around, I think it was like five in the morning, just at sunrise. And they were able to film with no one around. But of course the police came right in the middle of their filming because they're filming right in the middle of the street. 
But once the police heard it was Phantasm, they were like, oh, this is cool, you know, because they were near the El Rey Theater, right? I think. um, Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. it's right in front of the El Rey Theater and area that normally would not be devoid of people. So it was kind of cool. They they were it's such it's kind of like guerrilla filmmaking, right? They didn't have the budget to like, you know, get get to wall, you know, to block traffic and get a permit and all this stuff. They were filming kind of illegally. And I kind of like that spirit of guerrilla filmmaking. Again, they keep bringing people back. They keep getting these movies made in in spite of obstacles. And that's kind of cool. But then what they end up with is just not a very enjoyable film to watch. It's not fun. Like, I think the first Phantasm is a balance of everything. It's got, it's dreamlike, it's creepy, it's scary, but it's fun. They're, they're, and you like the characters. They work together and you kind of get, you kind of like the the people in the movie. And then the second and the third one, you know, they're they're mostly more fun and more action oriented, but they still have, you know, they're still an enjoyable, enjoyable thing to watch, you know, from like a cult film standpoint. This movie, I only really kind of uh, kind of woke up uh, when Reggie was in the film and when he was doing some fighting or or trying to get some action, you know, because then we have the echo of the third and second film. So, yeah, this is probably my least favorite of all the films, if only barely. Um, the, because the the bottom two, I really don't have, you know, I don't like as much as the first three by a lot. So I would say there's a huge gap between those. But yeah, that's my opinion. But the hanging scene with the tall man, you know, in the fourth one that they recorded actually when they made the first one. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool seeing the tall man kind of jerk around in his overacting, you know, right. hanging style. And, and it's really terrible because it, it doesn't, the rope doesn't look like it's anywhere near his neck. You, it's pretty oh, that's clearly funny. like, yeah. you know, and some harness behind and stuff like that. And he's like overacting, you know, like, oh, look, I'm being hanged here and look at right. my long limbs, you know, jerking around. And, and, uh, you know, the Mike character is, uh, you know, involved in that, in that scene a lot too. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny, but it's just to me, it seems like, uh, you know, where we, uh, you know, have to, you know, leave the that the original film uh, stock behind. But it's like, oh, we already have all this film. Let's uh, let's uh, use it. So. All right. Uh, let's go on to the last one. There are some schools of thought that suggest the possibility that one could be in two places at once. story epic actually 
Yeah. Okay. All right. So Phantasm Five. So what we have here is again the movie starts. This has got to be the last Phantasm movie, uh, at least it you know unless there's a reboot of some sort because it kind of wraps everything up. Uh, and it starts out again where the last one left off. Reggie is you know wandering in. He's wandering in the desert. He's his uh, you know his clothes are torn up. He has lost his car. His car has been stolen. And then we find the guy who stole it, which is like this kind of nerdy, nothing looking kind of guy is driving his car. And Reggie ends up getting the car back. And he um, then what happens? He kind of, uh, you know, is then uh, again, kind of wandering. But then we kind of see that, oh, he meets uh, another woman, right? He meets this woman named Dawn. And Dawn uh, uh, kind of invites him back to her place and he the stays the woman, right? The redheaded woman, Dawn, right? Yeah. And then he stays the night. But then he, of course, the spheres follow him. They kill her. Uh, she's got this farm hand. They kill the farm hand. Uh, you know, and we do get some red. We do get a, quite a little bit of music here as well as he attempts to write a song for her. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it just seems like it's continuing on. But then we kind of flash to this other scene where Reggie is in a kind of in a mental institution or an old folks home. And he looks a lot older, right? He's a lot older and Mike comes and it turns out that in the first films, we're led to believe that all of this is in Mike's imagination. But now we're led to believe that Reggie is imagining all of this stuff about the tall man. But then we also get some dialogue between the two of them that maybe there are different realities, Right. And I think that's what this film kind of says, right? We get a lot of indications that there are alternate universes. You know, these portals are actually not only uh, uh, gateways to the, you know, tall man's dimension, but they're also time-based gateways. You can go back and forward in time and they're also gateways to different realities. So we see Reggie kind of living in two different realities. And we're not sure if it's all in his mind or not. Because these realities throughout the film kind of bleed into each other. And then Reggie, at one point, wakes up and he's in this post-apocalyptic world. And there's Dawn again, but her her name is not Dawn. I actually forget what the character's name is in in this other dimension, but she has a different name. And she has this little friend, little person named Chunk, who who is uh, another one. These are, they're like kind of post-apocalyptic warriors and there are giant spears hovering over the devastated cities and the tall man has now taken over the world. And so this is kind of like Phantasm 1999 or Phantasm uh, ends, Phantasm's end, right? It was, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, the world, it's a post-apocalyptic world. And then we later find out Mike is one of these soldiers against the tall man as well. But it flits in between these realities where you have Reggie and the old folks home or the, you know, the, the kind of institution. And in one kind of heartbreaking scene, he's with the tall man who is who is saying this is where we go to die and stuff. And it's kind of a heartbreaking scene because this is the last film that Angus Grimm made. He died before the film was actually released. Uh, so the scenes of him, he's very old. He's almost 90 years old in these scenes. Um, and you know, it's, that's basically the story and you have some action sequences, 
You've got spheres flying around that are all CGI. And we'll talk about the effects of this movie in a bit and the look of it. But it's a lot more action oriented than. So it's got some of the qualities of the fourth one where you're not sure, you know, it's flitting between realities. But it's also got some qualities of the uh, third and second movies where there's a lot more action. Right. Right. And you have this gang of warriors and where it ends up is Reggie ends up dying in the reality of the old folks home. He ends up dying. And it also ends up to where at the end, Jody comes driving up in what is now the battle Cuda. So they have created the battle Cuda. He drives up and they drive off. And we also have a twist ending spoiler alert where Rocky shows up at at the very end. So we see the character of Rocky at the very end. And, um, you know, they have they have had this big action sequence with the tall man where Chunk tries to blow himself up with the tall man. He ends up just blowing off his hand or whatever. Um, and then he tries to get with Rocky a little bit. And then they all get in the battle Cuda and drive off into the apocalyptic landscape. And that's kind of the basic story. I'm not sure if I forgot anything. Yeah, I I honestly don't remember even those details. So, I, OK, yeah, I, I'll trust that you've covered the relevant things. I don't think this film really merits such a advanced scholarship on the finer plot point either. Right. Right. So let's go into Don Coscarelli's career in between these two films. So these films are 18 years apart. So phantasm four wrapped up in 1998 and this movie wasn't made until 2016. So he was doing a lot. The first thing he did was he was really into pro wrestling. And he wanted to, he was offered a chance by Eric Bischoff of WCW. WCW was really big in the 90s with Hulk Hogan and the whole New World Order and all that. And, and you know, they were competing against W, what was then WWF, now WWE. Um, and they had, were doing all these gimmicks and a lot of their gimmicks are really dumb. And one of the dumbest ones was working with Kiss, who yeah. had just reunited at the time. So this harkens back to our live episode working with kiss to create their own wrestler called the demon. And he was basically Gene Simmons makeup. He's a big buff guy. And Don Coscarelli had a chance to direct this sequence and to write it. And he wrote it, but they ended up not using it. And Eric Bischoff ended up going with some other idea. And it was such a disaster that he got fired over it because the demon was a bust. You know, it was just a stupid idea that again, that that Gene Simmons always trying to market himself in different ways. But I think people were kissed out by this time <laughs> because they had done Psycho Circus, which is a terrible album. You know, they've been on the reunion. I think people were done with Kiss. So he moved on from there and he worked on a movie called Bubba Hotep, which is probably one next to Phantasm, his most famous film. And this stars, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell as Elvis and Ozzie Davis as, as Kennedy. Um, it's pretty amusing film it was uh written by um joe lant joe r lansdale who was a, a writer that don coscarelli admired i'm also a big fan of joe r lansdale i have a bunch of his horror books he's a really good uh writer and um he uh also wrote uh he also got together with a group of other horror directors including john the likes of john carpenter and dario argento and they made this series called masters of horror in the early 2000s and he actually directed a an adaptation of a short story uh by uh, joe r lansdale at this time right and bubba hotep was pretty successful it was you know won some acclaim in the art circuit Um, And he really wanted to do a sequel. And I really wish he would have done a sequel because the sequel idea was amazing. It was basically Elvis, young Elvis and old Elvis 
fighting against vampires. <laughs> so like Elvis would get his martial arts crew in the early 70s. Like, cause he had this entourage, right? Him and his entourage were really into martial arts. So it was this whole the thing Memphis of they were mafia, right? Right. It was this whole thing of Colonel Tom Parker had some dealings with the debt with the debt with the real vampires, and they were making a movie about vampires at the time where he uses martial arts to fight them. And but Bruce Campbell didn't like the script because the whole ambiguity, again, very similar to Phantasm, right? The ambiguity of the, is this guy really Elvis? Is this really Jack Jack John Kennedy dying his skin black? so that he could hide from the assassins, right? Or are these just two crazy guys in an old folks home? Well, with the sequel, he actually makes it explicit that it's all true. And Bruce Campbell didn't like that. He liked the ambiguity, right? So he wasn't able to make that. Uh, he did just, he also discovered this internet novel that had been written on the web by this blogger. Um, and it was called John Dies at the End. And he made a film of that. I started watching it and I didn't really get into it, but I kind of want to give it another chance because it kind of looks like a fun movie. It's just kind of this crazy, surreal horror movie uh, comedy. Um, and so he made those and, you know, he that's kind of all he did. But there was always talk of doing another Phantasm movie. And he had uh, worked with a guy named Brad Barrow and these two guys, Brad Barrow, who was an executive for entertainment television, who was a fan of Phantasm and Stephen Romano, uh, who was a script writer. And they wrote this script called Phantasm Forever. And it was mostly dialogue. So they just they got together and filmed a table read. And this started getting the wheels turning again with, the, you know, getting the cast back together. And a lot of people thought this was really cool. It's never been released in any form. Um, and. But there was this other guy, David Hartman, who wanted to film some sequences, uh, Phantasm-related sequences. Uh, and David Hartman was a director that had, he was an animator, and he had worked on some animation sequences that appear in Bubba Hotel. So he started making these short films. And I think that's one of the reasons, because I thought, wow, because Gigi Barrister, who's um, Reggie, or Gigi Bannister, who's Reggie ba Bannister's wife, she's the one working on the Women of Phantasm documentary that's going to come out in like a year or so. She did the makeup for Phantasm Ravager. And one of the things that blew me away by Ravager was I thought the makeup looked amazing, because Reggie looks younger. And then and he looks older. Well, actually, it's not the makeup. He was younger and older yeah, because yeah. they filmed these things in like 2008. So it's like 10 years. Right. Oh, so it, I thought, wow, you know, this movie looks really cheap, except the makeup is amazing because he looks like a different guy. He looks really older. Well, he was older. So it wasn't really the makeup. Right. Um, so they started filming some short films like the, or the sequence with Don and the camp, you know, they're sitting at the fireplace and all that when he meets Don is all filmed in like 2008 and stuff. So they started filming these disjointed sequences and they also came up with the dementia idea, I think, based on some of the Bubba Hotep stuff, right? Because Bubba Hotep is in an old age home. And so they kind of adapted that to Phantasm and. I couldn't find any budget information for this movie. It was filmed over time and obviously they used you know, whatever they use for the computer animation. I mean, it looks like fucking sci-fi channel uh, slash video game cutscene circa 2000. It looks absolutely terrible for 2016, right? So they, you know, the budget, I couldn't even find it, but they said it was half of the of the first film's budget, which was $300,000. So I'm guessing $150,000. Um, it seems like it would have taken more than that, but, you know, maybe it does, not, it is no. really cheap. Maybe not, right? So, um, you know, in every... Uh, Again, the film was filmed by a really small crew because Don Coscarelli in his book, um, True Indie, which, again, I proselytized about in the first part of this uh, podcast. I love this book. I think if, if anyone takes away anything from this book, see at least the first few 
first two Stantasm movies if you haven't already. And get this book because this book is really, really entertaining. And he talks about how they shot it with a really bare bones crew. They shot the extra footage they needed for 2016. And of course, they bring back the battle CUDA, as I mentioned, which was a concept that they thought of in Phantasm 1999. Uh, this is by far the most divisive of all the films. Some people absolutely hate this film. They hate the dimension angle and the whole ambiguity of whether it was real or not. Uh, and some people like it because this film, as I'll talk about in my evaluation of the film, is basically a gift to the fans, right? To get the cast back together for one last time and to kind of do some things with Reggie and stuff that they wanted to do, right? So have him play more music in the film, etc. So uh, let's talk about what we think about this film. Yeah. Why don't you shoot first? Well, I, I mean, I'll, how about this? I'll wrap up what I think about this film in, in my final summation evaluation. Cause I'm kind of waiting to not doing it as we go along. Why don't you take it away? Cause I actually don't have a lot to say other than I saw this a while ago. I thought I was largely bored by it. Um, yeah. I was great seeing Reggie, but it was sort of like weakened Reggie in a lot of ways, you know, other than the scenes with Don and I, I like, uh, you know, I like younger Reggie more virile Reggie, less dementia right, Reggie. Right. So why don't you take uh, your thoughts about this uh, away here? Okay. So again, this movie should be spelled F-A-N-T-A-S-M, Phantasm, because it's basically a fan service. It's completely yeah. fan service. It's, it's almost like fan fiction. And I think a lot of fans of Phantasm do not like it because of that. They they see it as just kind of an unnecessary addition to the series. Can, and a lot of, especially yeah. the people who like Phantasm 4. I will say I ranked this above Phantasm 4, and it's mainly because of the indie, true indie story of getting this made. And it's good to see all the characters together again and have Jody and Mike be less zombified in this film. Like Mike is actually, again, an action hero like he was in the second film. And I like seeing that, right? Um, I also like, you know, I kind of like that they brought Chunk in. I thought that was kind of an amusing thing. And I think one reason Don Coscarelli said that was he felt like, you know, he felt a little bit politically incorrect with having the all the lurkers be little people. And he wanted to have a good little person character. And it was a friend of David Hartman's. And it was kind of amusing to have this ragtag bunch of post-apocalyptic heroes. I always like post-apocalyptic shit. So I kind of like the way that I thought it was a natural way for the plot to go. And I think it's generally they're having more fun and you can tell they had fun making it than in the fourth movie. Although they probably had fun making the fourth movie, you know, and there's some good sequences in the fourth movie, but uh, you know, and I like, you know, there's this whole thing at the end where they all get together. And I was actually kind of moved by this, you know, it felt like, wow, these guys have been not only on an adventure in the, in the fictional world, but in the real world of getting these movies made. And I felt like it was kind of a nice wrap up to the series um, it was really good to see the lady in Lavender again. She appears in a short scene, um, you know, and it was good to see Rocky again, even though I think they should have had Rocky show up earlier and used her more. I think it would have been better if she had been part of the 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 kind of uh, fight, you know, the soldiers uh, from the beginning. I thought I actually have to say the dementia scenes are some of Reggie's best acting. Like he actually tries yeah. You know, and, and, you know, he's not the world's greatest actor, but I actually thought he did really well. You know, he's, he's um, the scenes between him and Mike, I actually really liked where they're talking about alternate realities and Reggie 
you know, maybe Reggie is getting real dementia and he's just really good at <laughs> that because he is really makeup. old. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I really like that. And we get a little Reggie music scene, which I like, which is kind of another thing, a gift for the fans, even though you know, we can debate about the merits of Reggie's music. I kind of like the idea of it. It it makes him such a real world person. I think the charm of Reggie, and we'll talk about this more as we kind of wrap things up, but I think the charm of Reggie is that he's like a regular guy. He's so yeah. relatable. And like I said, it's like having my uncle Raj be in a movie or something. It's like this awkward kind of regular hippie look guy. And I like that when we can see the real Reggie bleed into the the actor, the character of Reggie. Um, And that mostly happens because he's not the world's greatest actor. Right. And we get Bob Ivey back doing stunts. We get, you know, uh, uh, Carrie Pryor doing special effects. So I like that they bring these people back. um, And they, you know, it's kind of a a nice gift to the fans and a nice wrap to the series. Now, as far as the bad points, again, I mentioned this is the worst CGI I've ever seen, I think, in any film other than Birdemic. You know, it's (laughs) it's um, it it looks very fake. It looks very cheap. You know, it's it's almost like watching a, a bad computer animation from like 1999 or something. It looks so bad. Um. It's also probably the least necessary of the films, although I would argue that four and five probably aren't necessary, though at least four has over five the fact that it deepens the story of the tall man. This doesn't really add much to the story at all, except for the kind of interdimensional thing. There's this one sequence that looks really cheap, which has these endless series. It's kind of like Matrix-like with, uh, you know, the character of Mr. Smith in the Matrix uh, Matrix 2 coming out, and uh, there's many of him. We see infinite tall mans, right, in this one scene. And you know, it kind of says, oh, there's all these different dimensions, but it's not really necessary in a way to the story. And it has almost none of the tone of the original film. It it actually feels like an outlier among all the films in tone and everything. It seems very strange. But at the same time, again, I was moved to see all these actors together. And it was it was kind of nice seeing them in a positive way and not zombified. So you have Jody appear and he's like, old Jody again, in a way you have Mike, Mike's kind of like old Mike, you know? So I kind of like that about it, but um, yeah, it's not a great movie. And I would say four and five are really at the bottom. I thought, you know, overall, if I had to rank them, I would put one way above two. I would put two, uh, you know, a bit above three, and then I would put three way above four and five. And really only the first three, I think are, if people are a fan of the first one, uh, they should definitely watch two and three. Um, and some people like two and three more. So I think the first three are actually all pretty good. And the last two aren't good at all. But I like five a bit more than four because I liked seeing everybody together in the end. And I thought it it was kind of fun fan service and a little more fun than the fourth movie, which isn't much fun at all. Um, I don't want to watch either of these two again. I could definitely watch any of the first three again, especially the first one, which I rank way above the others. Um, I guess, why don't you go into your overall eval of, of this? Yeah. So, and you're ranking, because we don't know what, we kind of have a hint of what your rankings are going to yeah, be, but we don't really know. They, right? So let's get you to your ranking. Yeah. Under the hat here. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, there are people who like two and three more than one, and I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I two versus three depends on the day, depends on the mood. I pretty much put them even. 
Um, and I like the action aspects of it. I like there's aspects of two that I like more than three. And there's aspects of three I like more than two, which we've talked about, um, I think, as we went through those. But I actually like those, uh, the second film and the third film the most. So I'd put those as like one and one A is tied for first. I would put the first film after that. I like it, but I'm like less personally, I'm less of a horror movie fan maybe than you are just in general. Right. Um, and I like it because it's Reggie. I like it because he is wearing the ice cream vendor outfit, which is hilarious. Yes. I like some of the aspects, the cheesy aspects of the film that are also charming that we talked about um, when we went through that part. Um, so I would put that as a, as a close second. And then the fourth and fifth are distant and put them in whatever order you want. I, I guess I would say I like four more than five, but your points about five are, 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 I agree with largely. I just think both of them are very problematic for different reasons. I don't think I needed to, I, for this, I did not watch them again. It's pretty obvious. I was forgetting. You didn't want to, right? There was no desire to, like, I don't really have any desire to see them again. Whereas like if I were showing somebody the phantasm movies, like our, for our movie club, I would definitely recommend, like we did our film club with Phantasm 1, I would definitely have no problem putting Phantasm 2 and 3 into our hat where we draw from to choose movies because I think everyone would like them. I think they they fill that cult film uh, need. You know, they yeah. they have they they hit all the right buttons of of being kind of kind of bad, but kind of fun and like cult films are supposed to be, right? Agreed. Um, so I think the first three are worthwhile and the last two really aren't, even though they have things I like about them. Yeah. And in the last one, it's very Reggie centric. And I think I've been pretty clear that Reggie is my favorite character by far. Um, but it's Reggie, you know, sort of being old and demented and it's not action Reggie, which is, you know, not my favorite. And plus, as you alluded to, the tall man is, is quite elderly at this point. It's kind of a little hard to watch. And he, you know, uh, perished, uh, you know, soon after the filming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's overall what I would say about the rankings. I think in terms of overall evaluation from a CFX point of view, I would go long on the series as a whole. I mean, we talked about which ones to focus on and which not to, just because I think essentially it's a penny stock, right? So it, it, it's almost like you could pick this up on the on the market for really just a couple of pennies. And I think the durability of the, of the uh, charm really of the first three movies and especially of the Reggie character and, you know, kind of the wackiness and zaniness of the story, the filming of the indie nature, all those things that you're talking about. I think over time, there's some benefit to it, but I mean, I'm, I'm long on it from a valuation point of view, just because you literally can almost get it for free as it were. And I do enjoy Reggie a lot. And personally, whenever the first three movies are on uh, TV or on a streaming service, I'll sit there and watch it and laugh at Reggie all over again. Um, of, you know, all the things that we talked about. So that's kind of where I come down. And uh, it's been fun to revisit this and, and to, uh, you know, think about Reggie as a thing, as a cultural meme, which uh, I'm very long on that particular aspect. All right. So as far as my... My stance, I mean, I've already ranked the films, so it would be one, two, three, five, four. But again, five, four could be tied for last, you know, and I would say the other three are pretty clearly in that order for me. As far as what my evaluation is going to be, I've really thought about this and kind of gone back and forth. I think that 
the first film is definitely endured. You know, you have people like J.J. Abrams being uh, a fan of it. And I also think it's unique. I think the whole series really is kind of a unique horror franchise. I mean, it has elements of other things. You could see elements of Nightmare on Elm Street. You could see um, elements of Evil Dead series uh, as a horror action franchise. But the first film, I really don't think there's anything quite like it. It's got sort of elements of Italian horror, as I mentioned, very surreal but it's got elements of, of action as well. And it's very innovative with the sphere. I think the sphere is, an, is the kind of uh, unsung hero of these movies. Uh, it was really a cool gizmo and it kind of really is an important landmark in practical effects. I think this movie shows what you can do with limited resources and a lot of ingenuity and tenacity. And I think the whole series shows that in a way too. And it kind of tells the story of like these guerrilla slash independent filmmakers kind of triumphing over the evil studio system. And I think that's an important lesson. And I think really I'm long on Bob Don Coscarelli's book. I think anyone should read that who's interested in making films. He has a lot of advice that's really interesting. And obviously things have changed with computer effects, but I, I think we should remember and, really praise this era of practical effects. I think it's really important. And I think it's something I really, uh, you know, am long on, but as a series, and and interestingly enough, this series does have a cult following, you know, there's a rabid following online. So that's kind of shown that it has endured. And I think it's because it's so unique because there's really nothing quite like it. And because of the appeal of this everyman, Reggie, right. There's a cult following around him. But as to whether it's going to stand the test of time, I'm not so sure. I think it depends on if there's reboots and stuff. I think they've tried to do reboots. And most of the time, reboots like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th and Halloween, they've been terrible. Yeah. You know, mostly they've been bad and they haven't been good. I think the one um, Dawn of the Dead reboot was really good. Um, there are a few horror reboots that actually are really good, but mostly they're, they've not been, right? So um, I think I'm going to go slightly slightly long on the series just because of the uniqueness of its kind of surreal nature and because of the whole story of Don Coscarelli I think I'm rooting for it but maybe I I sit where you do where it's a long shot yeah right it's a real long shot it's kind of like I have some affection for the first three films and you know the the actor and character of Reggie and the whole saga of getting these made but in the end it's a definite long shot and I think that's where I'm going to sit right where you are. Cause I don't want to short them because I do think that the films have already endured. Like when you know with phantasm remastered, there was this whole rebirth of interest in this film and you do have these influential uh, cultural, you know, uh, tastemakers like JJ Abrams being behind it. I think that's important. And I think it still has an influence today. Uh, you know, you have filmmakers like Ty West, this filmmaker Ty West, who made like House of the Devil, which is a pretty good kind of uh, old school horror movie who's making like horror movies in this style. Right. Yeah. Of these old slashers and stuff. And I think that has a, you know, the, and there's been some Netflix shows and things that have a lot of this uh, influence of this time period in horror. So I think it's I'm long on that and slightly long on the on the prospects of Phantasm uh, franchise. So that's, I guess, where we'll leave it there. Yeah. And, you know, Reggie, I could see people in the future rediscovering Reggie, the character, and thinking it was funny. And uh, that's, you know, I, I think yeah. there's there's, some, there's a charm to it. There's a charm sure. to it. All right. We will uh, leave this epic two-parter episode uh, for sure here. 
Uh, thank you for joining us for episode 16, uh, Phantasm, Hot as Love. Um, and I will play us out here with some Reggie uh, song making from Oblivion, Phantasm uh, 4, and catch you next time. Thank you.